If you have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians 5. If you don't have a Bible, follow with us on the screen. We will give you a Bible at the end of church if you don't have one. We'd love to bless you with one. Maybe you have a Bible on your phone. We encourage everyone to take notes and get in the Word of God. We think this book has the power to change our lives, to transform us into who we're called to be. And so Paul was answering a church, a church in Galatia, a town, a city. And this church had gone from believing in Jesus to struggling now to comprehend why Jesus died for them. This month, we're going to be leading all the way up to Easter with a series called Via Della Rosa, why Jesus died for us, a journey to the cross for the next few weeks leading up to Easter, why Jesus died for you and for me. And Paul said, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Paul was talking to Christian believers, church people. It would be like Paul coming to our 11 a.m. service and saying, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't go back to the slavery and the bondage. And you might be saying, yeah, Paul's talking about the bondage of addictions, the bondage of alcohol, the bondage of, of immorality, the bondage of drugs. No, no. Paul in this passage right here is actually talking about the bondage of religion. He's saying Christ died to set you free from religion so that you could come into relationship with God. So today, to start off the series, the title of this message is Moving from Religion to Relationship. And I think Tulsa needs to hear this. I think the body of Christ needs to hear this. Paul wrote a whole passage on it. Jesus preached multiple messages on helping people get free from religion so that they could come into relationship with God. Lord, I thank you that today our hearts would be open to receive this, that we would understand what this is all about, what you did on the cross. God, let us come today with childlike faith. God, that we haven't seen it all and we don't know it all, but today we're expecting you to open our hearts and our minds to new things. God, to experience you in a fresh, new way. God, I pray for every person who's new here today, new to victory, Lord, that you would do something fresh in each of them. God, but also to those who've been here for 20, 30 years, that today we would be reminded how incredibly exciting it is to be part of following Jesus and part of his church. And God, that it's not a boring thing, it's not a religious, mundane ritual, but God, it's a vibrant relationship in Jesus' name. Now, let's say this all together on the count of three, a declaration to let God God speak to us. And if you want to grab the hand of the person next to you and lift it high, you can do that. Here we go. Let's say this victory confession. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Give somebody a high five. Yes. Just tell somebody, be free, be free, be free. <laughs> be free. My wife has been stirring me up with this message, and uh, we've, been, we've been talking about what does it mean to be free of the religious bondages that the world tries to pull us into? What does it mean to live free? 
Recently, I've been uh, hearing my son Liam starting to talk full sentences, and it's exciting. He's starting to actually make sense and say things that we understand. And uh, he's actually starting to repeat things that we're saying, which is scary. Um, so we got to make sure we're always saying positive, uplifting things. But anyways, Liam, he, he recently, when I've been giving him a bike ride, I would take him on uh, my bike, and there's an attachment to my bike that he could sit in, and it's kind of uh, a little you know, attachment for babies to ride on the back of the bicycle. So he's sitting back there and he is just excited. He's going, thank you, daddy. Thank you, daddy. Bike ride, bike ride. And then he'll go like this. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then he said, love you, daddy. Love you, daddy. And he loves going on bike rides, not just because we're going to ride the bike, but he knows I'm going to take him to the park. And so we'll ride the bike, and it's about a mile towards the park, and I'll go to this park. We'll get out. We'll look at the ducks. He loves the ducks, and then he wants to find people with dogs, and he wants to pet all the puppies in the park and uh, just enjoys it all. And he's shouting, thank you, thank you, Daddy. And, man, it just melts my heart when he says, I love you, Daddy. I love you. Just melts my heart. It's amazing. It's one of the most incredible experiences. But in listening to him, I'm realizing this is what God wants us to be like. God doesn't want us feeling obligated to go to church or endure uh, Christianity. He wants us to enjoy Christ. He wants us to enjoy going to church. He wants us to enjoy opening our Bibles. He wants us to enjoy worshiping him. This isn't meant to be a religion. This is meant to be a relationship. And there were people in the Bible that had a hard time accepting Jesus. And they were known as the religious people. And I think about Jesus walking down this path called the Via Della Rosa. This was uh, Latin for the way of suffering. The path that Jesus would take through the winding streets of Jerusalem all the way up to a hill called Calvary where he would die on a cross for you and for me. And so Jesus would carry this cross, and at some point, another man would come and take the cross for him and carry it, but he would be following down this pathway these Roman soldiers who were whipping him and mocking him as he headed towards Calvary, towards the cross. And I imagine Jesus just weeping and, and, and uh, blood dripping from his head. There's been a crown of thorns shoved into his skull, and blood's coming down his face, and then his back is is ripped to shreds. He's gotten uh, so many whiplashes with stones at the end of the whip that's pulled flesh out of his back and he's dripping with blood, almost unrecognizable as a human. And he's walking down the street and all of a sudden he looks up and he locks eyes. And I think about the people who would be on the Via Della Rosa, the people on the path. It says that there were crowds pressed up against him during that walk towards the cross. People that he helped, people that he healed, People that he had preached to, people that he had ministered to and impacted. I imagine Jesus is walking and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus, the man who climbed the sycamore tree. I imagine Jesus looks over and he sees the woman that was caught in adultery that he had lifted up and said, where are your accusers? I imagine maybe even the Samaritan woman that he had ministered to that had been in five different marriages, divorced and, and was living with a man she wasn't even married to. And I wonder if Jesus was looking at these people and just almost nodding, saying, this is for you. This is for you. I imagine Jesus looking at maybe the little boy with five loaves and two fish that helped feed 5,000 people. And Jesus looking at him and looking at older people and younger people and men and women and families that were there for the Sermon on the Mount. 
But then there was one guy this week, I kept thinking about one guy who we know had to have been there that day. All the religious leaders were there that day. In fact, it wasn't notorious sinners that put Jesus on a cross. It was religious people. <laughs> I think we forget that it wasn't the woman caught in adultery that nailed Jesus to the cross. It, it wasn't even the Roman soldiers that were the ones responsible for instigating the crucifixion. It was the religious people. And I think about one man who had to have been on the Via Della Rosa that day watching Jesus walk down that path. A man who was confused on the inside. He was wrestling with his theology and wrestling with the religiosity that he had grown up in and, and trying to figure out who Jesus really was and what Jesus was really all about. His name was Nicodemus. Let's go to the first place where we see Nicodemus in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 1. It says there was a man of the Pharisees. Everybody say Pharisees. And his name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. By the way, I like that name, Nicodemus. Ashley, we might have to name one of our kids Nicodemus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Verse 2, it says, this man, Nicodemus, he came to Jesus by night. Now, here's why he came at nighttime. He was afraid to show himself during the day. If the Pharisees, who hated Jesus, despised Jesus, saw one of their own coming to talk to Jesus in a private conversation, they would get upset. They would say, you're done. You can't hang with us. You're, you're associating with that Jesus guy. You need, to, you need to leave our group. So he comes at nighttime. And I imagine Nicodemus almost looking out from his window and when it gets dark, sneaking out into the streets, hiding behind corners. And finally he sees Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, can we have a conversation? And he goes like this. He says, Rabbi, which is huge because none, none of the Pharisees associated Jesus as, as a teacher or a pastor. Almost all the Pharisees, in fact, all of them were the ones that, that uh, accused Jesus of being an imposter. But Nicodemus was a little bit different. He said, Rabbi, pastor, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these miracles and these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is saying some pretty big things for a Pharisee to say. He's saying, listen, I know that, that God's with you. I mean, you couldn't heal the blind and raise Lazarus from the dead if God wasn't with you. I know God's with you but I don't understand you. What are you all about? And this is what Jesus says next, and this blows uh, Nicodemus's mind. In verse three, Jesus answered him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, everybody say born again. again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is trying to figure out, what? Born again? See the kingdom of God, and, and in his mind, religion is what built your, your, your pathway towards getting into heaven. Religion is what built your way towards seeing the kingdom of God. It was all about how good you could be, how many deeds you could do, and how many uh, scriptures you could memorize. So all of a sudden, Jesus says, it's not about how many good deeds you do, and it's not about how many scriptures you've memorized, or how many times you've gone to the synagogue, which today would be going to church. It's about being born again that gets you into heaven. And all of a sudden, Nicodemus is like, what? You want me to climb back in my mother's womb and come out again? How dare you come up with some crazy idea like that? And Jesus says, no, Nicodemus. It's not about going back in your mother's womb and coming out again. He said, you're looking at this the wrong way. In your mind, see, this is what religion is. Religion is flesh. It's man-made. It's something we can see. 
You can see me go to church. You can see me open my Bible. You can see me get on my knees and pray. That's, that's something we can show. But relationship is supernatural. Being born again is something of the spirit. It's on the inside. It's believing in Jesus. You can't see my belief, but you can see the results of my belief. Just like you can see the results of someone who's stuck in religion. Because law becomes more important than love. And rules become more important than relationship. And Jesus says, there's a better way to do this, Nicodemus. There's a better way to follow me. There's a more enjoyable way to experience God. And it's not through what you can do. It's through believing in what I've done. The most famous scripture in the whole Bible comes from the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, listen, you've got to be born again of the Spirit, which comes by believing, not achieving. It comes by believing in Christ, not achieving your own good deeds. And he says this in verse 16. Hey, Nicodemus. And remember, this is at nighttime. God so loved the world. Jesus didn't say this to a mass crowd. He wasn't saying this to a church. He was saying this to one man who was steeped in religion. And here's why he said it. Because he wanted Nicodemus to know God didn't love the world because the world deserved his love. God didn't love the world because the world had proved their worthiness to be loved. God loved the world because God loved the world. God loved the world because God is good. Not because you are good, but because he is good. You couldn't prove your goodness enough to get his goodness. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All of a sudden, Jesus tells Nicodemus, no matter how many good things you do, if you don't believe in Jesus, you won't inherit eternal life. Religion teaches us to be good. It teaches us to do all the right things, to follow all the rules. And when we reduce Jesus to religion by following all the rules and limitations and obligations, we trade a God-made covenant for a man-made concept. Jesus said it like this in Mark 7, verse 13. You have made the word of God of no effect. You have canceled out the power of, of believing in Jesus so that you can accept your own traditions and your rules and your limitations, and you do so many things like this. The religious people, they had a hard time accepting Jesus because he was so different than them. They were expecting a Messiah to come in and sit at the front seat of the table and, and wear a long robe and uh, demand that everybody bow down to him and separate himself from dirty people. And Jesus comes in and he's hanging around with drunkards and people caught in adultery and sixth time through marriage and, and, and uh, cursing sailors and sitting down with tax collectors who cheated people out of money. And he's, he's loving the dirty people and he's touching the lepers and he's healing people on the Sabbath and the religious people are, they're angry because religion produces control. As long as I can control this thing, as long as I can control what's going to happen in my life, I can control the way I experience God. I can fit it in my box, my structure. Religion creates boxes and structures, and Jesus doesn't fit in boxes and structures. He's so unique. The Holy Spirit can't be boxed in. You can't make him like the way that you wanted him to be or the way that he did things in the 80s is not the way he does things in 2016. 
And some of us are missing out on Jesus in 2016 because we're trying to fit Jesus into 1984. And he's no longer 84, Jesus. He's 2016, Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, he takes us from glory to glory. But the thing that Paul was pointing out in Galatians 5 is it's possible to go from relationship to religion. We know it's possible to switch from religion to relationship, but we didn't realize that you could get in a relationship with Jesus and then revert back to religiosity. The bondage of religion is appealing. It's magnetic. It, it drives us into this ritual. I know what to do, and if I do these things, I can control the outcome. If I do this, then I get this, and, and it drives drives us away from God. It drives us away from knowing Jesus. The Pharisees were a specific group. Nicodemus was part of this group that worked hard to prove their worth with God. They had to study scriptures, memorize entire books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had to know all the stories, and then they had to be able to quote all the uh, 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 scriptures. And theology is good until it gets in the way of the simplicity of the gospel. I found myself at ORU getting so pulled into studying the hermeneutics and the exegesis and eisegesis and the scriptures that I was missing the main point. I would get in debates and arguments and try to prove my points and I was elevating the law instead of elevating love. I was elevating knowledge instead of elevating intimacy. I was uh, steeping myself in religion instead of steeping myself in a relationship with God. And so Jesus says, Nicodemus, there's a better way to live, not as a Pharisee. And the truth is, all of us could get upset at the Pharisees. We could say, yeah, they're the ones that killed Jesus. But the truth is, all of us have a little bit of a Pharisee inside of us. And some of us today, we need a pharisectomy. We need to lay down on the table and let Jesus do open heart surgery and pull the Pharisee out, out of us. We really do. Because we come to church and we got a little bit of Pharisee inside of us. They took my seat. <laughs> they cut me off in the parking lot. Who do these people think they are? So judgmental. We can become judgmental about the judgmental people. <laughs> and we don't realize, man, I need a Pharisectomy. Like, I need to get... The religiosity pulled out of me so I can embrace a relationship with Jesus that's pure. Religious people, there's a ruler down there. Ashley, will you pass me that ruler? This is what religious people would do back in their days. They would measure their goodness based on other people's badness. How many of you in this room have ever sinned before? Anyone ever sinned in your lifetime? Okay, awesome. Those that didn't raise your hands, we have an altar call at the end of service. That was the altar call. <laughs> But what we do is we say, yeah, yeah, I've sinned, but not as bad as, you know, those people down the street. They are in some serious sin. <laughs> like, how many of us in this room have ever been angry at another person? Anyone ever been angry before? Okay. All right. So that's about 100% of us. Anyone ever had, like, a little bit of envy? Someone had something that you wanted, and you're kind of like, ah, I wish they didn't have that. I wish I had that. Yeah, a lot of us. How about being impatient with people? People just slowing you down. Yeah, wow, I need to preach on impatience. Everybody just goes, whoa, yes. <laughs> That's hilarious, because most people think Tulsa in Oklahoma is like the slow southern living. No, we are all like, we want to be fast. We want to get there, on, you know. But anyways, here's the point. We go, yeah, but Paul, those sins are only like two inches high on the, on the meter, on the measurement. 
like impatience, envy. I, I, I didn't really gossip. I was just in a conversation where they were talking bad about someone and I didn't leave. That's only like two inches of sin, right? Gossip, envy, impatience, anger. Murder is way up here, right? I am not as bad. And so the religious people measured their goodness based on other people's badness. And they would pick up stones ready to kill the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus said, have any of you guys sinned? Isn't it crazy that when someone falls or a church makes a mistake, it's usually not the world that picks up all the stones. It's usually church people. Like religious people are the first ones to go, look how bad they messed up, you know? And Jesus is going, you messed up too. Like it's not, it's not like you've never made a mistake. And Jesus is trying to set Nicodemus free from this false measuring of, of sin and of goodness. In fact, Jesus says, you can't measure your sin and your goodness off how many good deeds you've done. or how." In fact, Jesus says sin is sin. And he even takes sin not just being something we do with our hands, but something we do in our heart. In other words, if you've been angry at another person, even if you didn't do anything mean to them, you've sinned. That puts all of us, that puts all of us in trouble. Oh, wow, it was a balloon. That was awesome. <laughs> we'll edit that out from TV later, but that was cool. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in the 11 a.m. service. We are live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> and that's what happens. We, we, we get so full of ourselves, like that balloon, we float all the way to the top, and God pops the ego. And he says, hey, religiosity, come back down to earth. Come on. You didn't even know. Illustrated sermon. <laughs> Jesus isn't expecting us to come to him flawless. He wants, to come to, he wants us to come to him honest, transparent. Come as you are. In his mind, sin is all sin. So murder, anger, strife, uh, rape, all that stuff. He goes, it's sin. Now, there's different consequences in your culture for your sin. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. It all leads to death. And so Jesus says, throw out the measuring stick. Come to me. The only way that you can be righteous is not based off what they've done or what you've done. is to look to Jesus. Your righteousness doesn't come from how little you've sinned or how good things you've done. The Pharisees, they were so built on their good works. Sadducees were another group of religious people. They were born into this religion. Their parents practiced this religion. And so uh, because mommy and daddy did it, they would just follow the heritage. And it really wasn't about loving God or loving Jesus. It was just about honoring mom and dad's religion. And so they would follow this, this rules and these rituals and these traditions made by man. And Jesus said, you guys are really good at pretending. Matthew 22, he said, you guys do everything for show. It's all about a show. You wear a great mask. He said, you guys are hypocrites. Jesus was really nice to everybody else, but to the religious people, he spoke the harshest. Jesus didn't say any of these things to the people who knew they were in sin. He said these things to the people who refused to admit the sin that they were harboring on the inside. He said, you guys clean the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside dirty and filthy. And you act like you've got it all together. And he said, you've allowed your religiosity to form this familiarity, and so you don't even honor me. And so I can do no miracles among you. Jesus was not able to do the miracles. When the Pharisees were in the room, he did very few. 
when he was in an open town and there was not this familiar spirit or this religious spirit, and this even spread it to Jesus' family. They said, we know you. You're the son of Mary. You're James' brother. Yeah, you, yeah, we know you, little JJ. We saw you grow up. We watched you act like a scoundrel, and now you're trying to pretend like you could preach a sermon and do miracles. And so we confine people with our religiosity. We don't allow our kids and, and people around us who are trying to change to really become who they're called to be because we've allowed religion and this familiarity to stop us from honoring what God's doing in someone's life. And Jesus could do very few miracles. I remember going to two different churches, and I'll, I'll get ready to close in this, but this is so important. I was in another nation on a mission trip, and I preached at one church that was 8,000 people there. I mean, it was three times the size of our auditorium, packed with people. But man, it was dead and dry and religious. I preached for, for about 45 minutes, did an altar call, and only 10 people raised their hand out of 8,000 people. And it was all about hunger for Jesus. And only 10 people decided to respond to be hungry for Jesus. And afterwards, the pastor came to me and he apologized because I was beating myself up. I was discouraged. I go, man, what did I do wrong? I must have messed up the sermon. He goes, no. He said, I need to apologize. My church has been in this dead, dry, complacent mindset. John talked about this in Revelation to a church that appeared to be alive, but in reality, they were dead. It's possible to appear to be someone, but in reality, you're not that person at all. Jesus called these people hypocrites. A hypocrite was a word in ancient Greek theater of someone who would pretend to be a different character. One actor would come out on the theater stage pretending to be someone, then turn around, put on a mask, and pretend to be someone else. It would be like if I tried to do, you know, if I was trying to act out the show Full House for you, and I come out, I'm Danny, then I put on a mask, I'm DJ Tanner, then I put on another mask, I'm Kimmy Gibbler, then I put on another mask, Hey, I'm Jesse, have mercy. Then another mask, I'm Joey. And you guys are like, something's fishy here. This guy is playing all these different parts, but it's the same person pretending to be someone else. And Jesus said, you guys are so good at pretending. I read a story in this magazine, People Magazine, famous magazine, and they did an article called My Secret Life by Andre Agassi, famous tennis player. And he was talking about his life. He said, you know, I became a professional at age 16. I won eight grand slams over my 20-year career as a tennis player. But he said this. He was writing a book called Open. And he said, all throughout my life, I hated tennis. He said, I never liked this sport. Even now, he said, I don't like the sport of tennis. He said, my dad decided before I was born that I would be the number one tennis player in the world. He described a practice at age seven. He said, my arms felt like they were about to fall off. I remember screaming at my dad, how much longer, pops? No answer. He said, I accidentally hit the ball over the fence, accidentally, just so I could get a four-minute break. I watched my dad storm out of the tennis court, stomping his feet, cursing at me. He said, I never chose this life, but I wore a really good mask. When I was reading that, I was thinking, wow, I think that's the case for a lot of people that have basically bought into a religious, man-made concept, 
and they've never really experienced the love of Jesus. I think one of the best things we can do as parents is allow kids to experience Jesus for themselves. I remember praying the prayer of salvation at age three. Actually, I don't remember it. My mom reminded me of it. <laughs> I prayed the prayer because I could speak, and they led me in the prayer. But it really wasn't until I was 18 when Jesus became real to me, where it wasn't just about church attendance and missions trips and religious activities, where it was like, wow, God really got a hold of my heart. It was a moment where, like my son Liam, that I was sharing at the beginning of the message, where he would say, oh, wow, there was a moment when I turned 18 where I was wrecked by the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And I go, oh, wow. I literally fell on my knees just crying, going, Jesus, thank you for inviting me into a relationship with you. Jesus wants us to be in a relationship, not a religion. Religion burns us out. A relationship inspires us. It stirs up expectancy. It's vibrant. Why you follow Jesus is just as important as if you follow Jesus. If you're following him to follow all the rules, you're missing the point. It's about following Jesus because he loves you. And his love inspires you to live for him. Here's what happens when we move from religion to relationship. Just a few points. When you move from religion to relationship, it means you're moving from obligation to gratitude. An attitude, I have to go to church, versus I get to go to church. I have to read my Bible, and I get to read my Bible. These words are like food to my soul. It's like water in a desert land. I have to love people, I get to love people. I have to worship Jesus. I get to worship Jesus. Obligation versus gratitude, right? Religion is all about an obligation. It's a ritual. It's a practice. Check it off the list. You went to church. You're done. Now you can go and live any way you want to live. As long as you put your mask on on Sunday, you're good. Take it off Monday through Saturday. Live however you want to live. But a relationship takes the mask off for good. You come to church just as you are. You leave church. You wake up on Monday. You become a little bit more like Jesus. On Tuesday, a little bit more like Jesus. This grateful spirit starts pulling you to want more of God. When I ask Liam if he wants to go on a bike ride with me, he doesn't go, fine, I'll do it. Just because you're my dad. Fine, I'll just get in the bike. First of all, he doesn't know how to speak that many words. Second of all, his attitude is not obligation. His attitude is this isn't a burden, this is a blessing. You know how it's crazy, church is rapidly growing in China. Even though it's like a, a, an underground church, communist country, these people are excited about Jesus. They are excited about Bibles. Because in their country, it's been outlawed and, 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 and being able to read the Bible, all the pages and all the scriptures and all the stories, it's been confined, it's been boxed in, and now there's this freedom. And so it's no longer obligation. It's, this is, this is man, I'm grateful. Moving from religion to relationship is moving from been there, done that, to expectancy for so much more. Some of us have, have uh, uh, come into this mindset of, I've seen all there is to see in the church. Seen all there is to see with God. Like, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, Brownsville Revival, I've seen it. Been there, done that. 
And so we put this box on what the Holy Spirit can do. And, but a relationship is, man, there's so much more. There is so much more. God's going to do greater things. My best days are still in front of me. God's not finished with me yet. And there's this hunger and there's, there's thirst and expectancy when you come to church and you open your Bible or you listen to a sermon on the podcast or you're, you're telling your friends about Jesus and you're like, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Get ready. We got a front row seat to revival in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Victory. God's doing new things. And there's this excitement versus this stale, dry religion. I don't want to be part of a stale drive. If we're going to do church, man, I want to be alive. I want to be real. I want to do it with all my heart, with all my soul, all my strength. Moving from religion to relationship means moving from hypocrisy to honesty. Moving from hypocrisy to honesty. No more pretending. You take off the mask. Come as you are. This is a safe church to come as you are. Maybe you're new to victory. Maybe you came from another church. Maybe you've never been in church. And you come here and you're not sure if you can really open up about your struggles and your problems. And you're really not sure if you can go down to the altar call, if you're going to be judged or not. Man, if there was, <laughs> come as you are. This is a safe place to just be honest. To say, I need help. Religion holds us back in pride and causes us to put on all these masks because we're afraid if I open up, if I'm honest, God may not love me and the people may reject me. That's religion. But relationship invites us into honesty where he can do a pharisectomy on us and do surgery on anything that's not of him. Moving from religion to relationship is moving from merciless to merciful. Merciless to merciful. Religion is all about judging other people. So Relationship is stripping off a judgmental spirit and being clothed in compassion. Grace, mercy. I receive mercy so I can give mercy. I overflow with grace on an hourly basis. I receive the grace of God so that I can extend the grace of God. Remember, it was the religious people that picked up the stones first. Jesus was the one that knelt down, lifted up the woman caught in sin, and said, where are your accusers? That's what relationship does. It stops you from being the stone thrower, and it, and it pulls you into being the one that lifts others up. Moving from religion to relationship is moving from trusting my ongoing works to resting in his finished work. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he doesn't have to do it again every day. He did it once and for all 2,000 years ago for you and for me. And some of us, we don't know how to embrace this because we're going, but, but wait a minute, if I trust in his finished work, that's going to lead me into a life of sin. No, when you trust in his finished work, you stop using your measuring stick to find your righteousness because it's all filthy rags in God's eyes. And all of a sudden you find your identity and your boldness and your confidence and your righteousness and your holiness from the goodness of God. What Jesus did on the cross is the only way that you're getting into heaven. You can't get into heaven based on your good works. You can't get into heaven by how good you've been. Only forgiven people get into heaven. And it's through the cross, through what Jesus did. Moving from religion to relationship is moving from, uh, moving from enduring religion to enjoying God. So many of us, we, we walk around like this thing is so hard and difficult. And then we're like, come on, just get saved. It's awesome. Come to church. We're having a great time. Oh, come on. Just. I love Jesus, but people bother me. <laughs> and it's like we're, 
just enduring, like I just gotta persevere through the love of Jesus. You know what I love about my parents? Some of y'all were here when I showed a video of my mom laughing and dancing a few weeks ago. That's what I want. I want that relationship that she has with Jesus. I remember watching my dad laugh and he had the goofiest laugh and he would do the craziest things and he was having fun. He wasn't stiff-necked and super serious and never allowing himself to enjoy church or enjoy God or smile. He was just, he was enjoying this. One of the best pieces of advice that a mentor gave me before I stepped in as pastor, he said, Paul, make sure you enjoy this. Being a pastor is not meant to be a drudgery. You're meant to enjoy this journey. Jesus wants you to enjoy Christianity. He wants you to enjoy church. He doesn't want you to feel like you gotta be stiff-necked or be someone that you're not. Man, he wants you to smile. He wants you to laugh. How bad would it be to be in a relationship our whole life where we feel like we can't enjoy the other person, where we're afraid it's fear-based. Religion is fear-based. Relationship is love-based. And so we move from religion to relationship by moving from control to freedom. I'm almost done. Moving from control to freedom. Some of us in this room, we are control freaks. <laughs> we are. We like things to be our way. If it's not this, not that, I'm out of here. I like control. I like to have my if-then situations. If I do this, then I get this. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is dictatorship. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is control. No, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on, William Wallace, freedom. Paul was saying, guys, you can't fit Jesus in a box. You can't control what, 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 what this is going to be like. This is all about freedom in the Holy Spirit. We are not a man-led church. We are a spirit-led church. And there is freedom in this place. There is freedom in our church. There is freedom in our school. There is freedom in the Dream Center. There's freedom. Churches that are built on control, they're missing out on the flow of the Holy Spirit. So we allow God to do what he wants to do. We move from religiosity. By the way, religiosity is idolatry. It's trading religious activity for a relationship with God. So we move from this idolatry of religion to a pure relationship with Jesus. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom from familiarity. Freedom from how it used to be. Freedom for what God wants to do today. We move from religious rule-keeping to grace-inspired obedience. I don't honor my parents because I'm afraid they're gonna punish me. I honor my parents because they've de deposited love inside of me. There's two ways to walk out the things of, of this word. One is to do it out of fear. I'm gonna get in trouble. Can't do that because I'm gonna, it's limitations, rules, rules, rituals, religion. The other part is relationship, man. Liam has recently started learning how to be obedient. And I found that when I'm just having fun with him and loving him, that he's more excited. Thank you, Daddy. I'm sorry. I love you. And there's this natural obedience that's grace-inspired. Jesus loves you this morning. Whether you feel like you failed or you feel like you've missed it, Jesus loves you. Last point here, we move from me-centered to Jesus-centered. 
Religion is all about what I can do, what I've done, what I might do, what I will do. Relationship is what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. Praise God. Colossians 3.1 says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus isn't pacing the sidelines of heaven, biting his fingernails, going, I don't know if these guys are gonna pull it. I, I mean, I don't know if we can win. I, I don't know if that guy doesn't get elected as president, what are we gonna do, you know? Jesus isn't worried. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He knows the end from the beginning. Man, he's got the, he knows we win. We win. Jesus wins. We win. So as Christians, when we become Jesus-centered, we sit down first. The first step of Christians is not to start marching. It's not even to stand. The first step of Christians is to sit down. Everybody say, sit down. It's a sign of security. Jesus paid it all. You can get off the hamster wheel. You can stop trying to do it all by yourself. Sit down. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Doesn't matter what happens in the world. Doesn't matter who's, who's elected as president. Jesus wasn't voted in and he can't be voted out. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I can be free of fear and free of shame and free of condemnation and free of religiosity. And Jesus invites all of us today. Why don't we stand to our feet right now? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus just said that. Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. That's relationship. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Relationship. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Lord, I pray right now just for a freedom from the bondage of religion. Freedom, God, from shame. Freedom from even just familiarity and complacency and losing the joy and the gratitude of our salvation. The freedom to let the Holy Spirit do new things in our life. God, I thank you today there would just be a, a freedom that happens in this place where there's been a dry, stale, religious mindset. Lord, let there be a freedom today in men and in women, in husbands and wives, in parents and in kids, in, in young and in old. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that the spirit of religion is broken. And God, that there is a freedom from the Holy Spirit in this place.